Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast, and welcome back, Jay Harrington, my co-host. Thanks, Tom. Good to see you. Good to be here. Yeah, good to have you back. <laughs> Although you're here every week, so hey, good to, good for all of us to be back after the holiday week. I guess. We yeah, did, we did take last week off, so we are we are back in that sense. Yes, yes, we are. So, uh, one thing I've noticed um, that seems new to me, but maybe it's not as new as I think it is, and that is the fre- frequency by which you are posting on LinkedIn. And I would say the nature of your posts has changed a little bit as well. So I thought maybe we could talk through maybe some thinking that went into that. And if you could share with me and our listeners what the results of those changes have been, if any, and uh, the impact you're seeing it have. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, that sounds good. I thought this might be uh, an interesting topic just to talk through because, yeah, it kind of, it, 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 blossoms from my own experience and also just observing other people. I've been really trying to be more observant of behaviors that seem to be working on LinkedIn. And obviously what working means is, is a relative term, but in this case, let's, let's call it activity that's generating a lot of engagement. Uh, and by engagement, we mean, you know, people are interacting with, with uh, one's content. They're, they're liking it. They're commenting on it. They're, they're having a conversation around it, um, and and it's around certain ideas that people are sharing. So I think I think the most valuable aspect of LinkedIn is is the fact that it's a platform on which you can really catalyze a conversation. And you know, through observation and then through some trial and error of my own, um, I've I guess I've been yeah learning uh, and and learning some new uh, tricks of the trade, so to speak, uh, and and gaining some kind of unexpected benefits as a result. Um, and so, yeah, I thought today we could talk about what you know, we're titling the episode, which is uh, the value of writing daily posts on LinkedIn. Um, so, so yeah, let's, let's maybe start there um, and maybe start Tom with just for our listeners. And I know this through my coaching experience, there are certainly many lawyers who are well-versed in LinkedIn and there are many others who are not, you know, they have a profile, uh, they might, you know, as they say, lurk on the platform a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, kind of look and check out, see what other people are doing, but not really participating on their own. So when we talk about a LinkedIn post, what we're talking about is the uh, the field that you'll find at the top of, you know, the, the page when you're on sort of your newsfeed or your um, uh, on, on the homepage of LinkedIn when you log in. And it'll say like, start a post and you click in that area and you write. You may share a photo, you may share a link to something you've written on uh, an article and share a URL. Um, what we're talking about here mostly is using the post as just a place to, to share um, written content, um, not necessarily linking to anything else outside the platform, but really almost, I, I treat it as like a, writing a mini blog post on LinkedIn and that content appearing in the feed of others who are in your network. So. Um, kind of to define the term, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about writing daily posts on LinkedIn. Right. And two things about this, I think, which are interesting as is, is marketing professionals, is they two things baked into that. The daily part 
in the writing posts part, challenge maybe some conventional wisdom that I myself harbor for years in that I think people need to rethink the platform and rethink what some of the intended goals are. So daily, for example, if I could just take those just real quickly at a time, the daily posts, the frequency of being an overshare, I think a lot of lawyers, a lot of just networkers in general feel like there's a fear of being an overshare, that this person is constantly bombarding an audience with posts and there's an aversion to being that person who is constantly beating one's drum. So I want to come back to that. The other part is the writing posts part in the way that you described it, which is not necessarily to drive traffic to a blog or to a website, which has always been traditionally the goal of marketing endeavors. And we've coached, you know, years ago, we felt like the every post should have a link back to your website. You should constantly be driving people back to your website and get people onto your turf because that's where you market to them. Uh, a couple of reasons why that's changed. Some are algorithmic and we'll talk through some of those, but could you just, before we get into the value of this, just talk through those two components. Why daily? Let's start with why daily and then you can move into why posts and not a blog or, you know, a link or something like that. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'm with you, Tom, in the sense that this is something that I've been kind of rethinking and, and my mind has been changed as well on, on some of this. Um, but so as far as daily, there, there's a few reasons. I mean, one is let's look at the, let's look at the reason that many people, um, it relates to the reason many people spend time on LinkedIn, which is you know, wanting to grow your network, ultimately wanting to develop business from the activity you're engaging in on LinkedIn. Well, so why would you want to be posting daily? Well, you're increasing, you know, the velocity and the and the um, uh, the exposure you're gaining on on the platform. You're going to be showing up more often. You're going to be more visible as a result of that. Now, the the thing that some people have to get over is the fact that they fear. Uh, being overexposed, right? They don't want to be seen as someone who's just like spending all this time on social media, like you might be on on Facebook or something like that. Um, I, I would counter that to say that you know, for most people, the, the risk of the risk is not overexposure; it's obscurity, right? You need yeah. it's it's so noisy in the world that you need channels to get yourself and your ideas out there. And you know, the other the other reason is because, and, and this is the algorithm uh, the algorithm issue that you you raised, Tom, which is that even if you're sharing daily, um, unless the posts that you're creating are, are extremely popular in the sense that they're creating, they're getting lots of engagement and they're being pushed into the broader network by LinkedIn, only a small fraction of your audience is actually going to see any particular thing you write. So so let's say that you know 10% of your network sees something because LinkedIn only only pushes it to 10% of your network. Well, you've got you almost you need to have like more at bats, right? You need to, right. you need to take more swings because otherwise you're not, you know, there's still going to be a significant portion of your audience that's not going to see you. So I'd say don't fear don't fear overexposure, fear obscurity and as as a result of that become more prolific on the platform. Um and then uh in terms of the second issue about driving, uh, yeah, there, there's always been the idea that a social media platform is a place to drive people to some other internet property like your website. And mm -hmm. and I now have fundamentally rethought um, how I think about LinkedIn. I, I now treat it as my blog. 
uh, I, you know, we still have our website and our blog, obviously, and we put up a, a weekly blog post and we're, we're hoping to drive traffic there. We hope that generates search traffic and organic, you know, other organic traffic to the website. But there, you know, the amount of people who see my daily posts relative to the amount uh, on LinkedIn, relative to the amount of people that um, visit our website, it, it just swamps it. I mean, there's so much more engagement on LinkedIn. Um, and why is that? Well, primarily it's because over time I've tried to cultivate a network of people within our niche industry who are interested in the content that you know we we provide so that when I share something on LinkedIn, I've got a baked in audience. And yeah. the idea being that you know they they're interested in hearing uh, you know what um, what I have to say. I mean, at least that's the idea. And so, you know, I have several thousand connections and followers. Well, you know, some significant percentage of those are going to see, see what I'm writing every day. And, and that's a great starting point rather than me just like putting on our website and hoping that someone comes and visits and reads it. So that, that's why, um, that's why, you know, thinking about, uh, writing, almost many blog posts every day on LinkedIn is, is to me a really effective strategy and um, it's something worth exploring. Yep. And I'll just give a tease to, at the end, we'll provide like maybe a, a pro tip on how you get around the issue of not linking off to blog posts. Because again, it's, it's, it's my thinking's changed on it as well. The one piece that um, maybe we can just not to put too fine a point on it, but the algorithms built into social networks, they are loath to drive traffic away from their own platform. So if you're providing a lot of LinkedIn posts that include links to your website, which was the conventional wisdom, those posts are being artificially suppressed. Um, yeah, not even artificially, intentionally suppressed mm -hmm. through the algorithms in favor of posts that contain no links. Um, so just a text only, as you're describing, which we'll get into, um, is going to be shared more readily to the people who are following you. So there's that reason as well. Pro tip at the end for a workaround. So, all right. So I think we've made the case on, on why you might explore the strategy. Let's talk about what will come as a result. So let's say a, an attorney now is able to commit to writing a daily post, which I think, you know, the barrier is lower to entry for, as a, because there's not this, like this, we've talked about some of the roadblocks that, that keep attorneys from creating content. One of them being the pursuit of perfection. And I think that when you're writing a post, there's a sort of a natural, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're not, it's beholden to this concept of perfection because it's not a published piece that's going to live forever on a website um, in eternity. You're creating a post. It's a snapshot in time. So the first thing that you're able to do is probably be more prolific content creator because you're only committing to a post a day. A day. But this will also make you a better writer, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, just again, the, uh, the daily writing practice can't help, but make you a better writer, right? You, you're, um, and, and you're getting, you're getting instant feedback to your writing as well. Uh, that's, that's something you don't often get, like you're gonna, you're gonna have people, um, and this could be scary for some, but you're going to have people commenting on what you have to say. They're going to, some people are going to challenge your opinion. I mean, they're not going to criticize your writing, but good writing is going to attract is going to be more resonant with your audience than than poor writing. So you'll 
you'll become a better writer just by engaging in the in the practice more consistently. Now, the thing that oftentimes isn't considered, but I think is extremely valuable is the fact that the constraints imposed by LinkedIn can't help but make you a better writer as well. So, you know, when you're writing, sitting down to write a blog post, again, you have infinite space. There's nothing constraining you other than if you're writing for an outside publication that has some sort of word count limit. But even then it's probably, you know, at a minimum 800 words and it might, they might even want something like, 2000 words. Um, and so you've got a lot of real estate to work with. Now in a LinkedIn post, you don't have that. You have a, a constraint of 1300 characters, which including spaces, which, which, which they count works out to about 200 words. So you've got to get a point across, um, in a pretty tight, you know, tightly, uh, tight and concise, um, uh, you know, post that's gonna, that's going to, have to really be focused on one issue, one issue alone, and and be able to get your idea across in a in a brief manner, um, and and that probably is is a good uh, transition time to just think about like, okay, so if I'm writing a post on LinkedIn every day and I know I've got maybe 200 words to work with, like what does that look like? What are we talking about mm -hmm. in terms of subject matter when it comes to comes to posts? Um, probably probably a good transition point to start thinking about that issue now, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. And I'll just to that point, though, that 200 words or less, say, that just happens to comport with what the appetite is nowadays for written content. Sure, there's going to be certain issues that people want the long form, the 2000 words, the academic, you know, uh, full on deep dive. And there's a place for that as well. But just people are consuming written content less and less, and they're taking smaller bites every time. So this 200 words allows you to then offer up a concise examination of a topic and still do it within the appetite that the reader has to, to dive in. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, just to follow up on that, Tom, before we move on, but uh, I, I also found there is a carryover effect to that as well. I, I have found that in my, you know, traditional longer form writing, I'm, I'm writing shorter posts there too. Mm. I have a, I have a tendency and, and my wife, Heather uh, reminds me of this all the time that I just, have a tendency to, to go on. I, I try to be, you know, I try to keep my writing uh, as brief as possible, but I, I've definitely had room to improve in this practice of really trying to get words, a uh, point across in a, in a limited number of words has been helpful in that regard. Yeah. And I suffer from the same affliction. So um, this is something that will help train me out of that, hopefully as well. And, and just real quick, I found that the the opposite approach could happen. If you're committed to long form, like I've been for years, um, you can write the entire piece, the 1200 words. And what I've been doing is taking a 1200 word piece and slowly dribbing and dragging it out uh, over the course of a week, just breaking it up into smaller 200 word posts. So if you have the uh, the problem that you and I have that we're just committed to long form, it, it can work the other way as well. So um, what about how this changes the way that you uh, address or consider topics? Have you noticed a change in your own writing habits um, that maybe was a side benefit or something that you didn't realize going into this that you would result from this new sort of approach? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think so. I, I mean, I certainly, I certainly uh, have a much better sense now of the types of topics that are, are resonating with, with my audience. Um, and, and that's a result, that's as a result of, of getting that feedback on LinkedIn. So I, as, as we've talked about previously, Tom, certainly you and I have um, privately, but nowadays 
I don't write anything long form unless I've previously written about it on LinkedIn in shorter form. Hmm. Um, that's that's the testing ground of of long form content for me, and I think it should be for everybody these days. Where, you know, instead of sitting down and and kind of blindly, when I say blindly, I mean without any any sense of whether a particular topic is going to resonate with your audience devoting three to four hours to writing 1500 words, like why not, you know, why not market test or beta test that idea on LinkedIn, um, spend 20 minutes, bang out, you know, 150 words on, on the core issue that you're going to write about and, and see whether anyone care, really cares about it. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, um, that's certainly been one benefit uh, to, you know, to writing and topic selection that, that LinkedIn has offered. Um, and it, and it's also helped me think about, um, you know, people really do want to hear, they, they want a mix of things. And I think, you know, anyone who's thinking about adopting this sort of strategy for themselves on, on LinkedIn should, should think about it in, in essentially there's two ways to think about it. One would be, um, you know, so what do you, what do you write about? What kind of topics, um, are, you know, are, are you going to become known for on the platform? Well, probably one should be, um, if you're try looking to develop new business is, have, you know, do some writing around your area of subject matter expertise, right? Cultivate an audience of, of those who um, you hope to serve and then write about issues that matter to them um, from a thought leadership standpoint. So, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that might be, it might be industry specific or it might be practice specific. We've had Laura Frederick on the, on the podcast. She's um, outstanding at writing about uh, her daily contract tips and her posts are um, get tremendous amounts of engagement and and have had a real benefit to her in her practice. Um, you know, someone else. I there's a there's a few people I'm thinking of who who don't necessarily write about you know a practice area and the substantive legal issues within that practice area, but they're they're really focused on um, topics related to a specific industry. So they're becoming sort of a thought leader um, for trending issues and topics within a particular industry that they serve. So that that's that's kind of one way to look at it. How writing content that relates to your particular practice or an industry that you serve. And then a lot of the real thought leaders on LinkedIn um, in the legal space, they kind of have a one-two punch. So that's the that's one punch. The second would be um, some, some other issue uh, that might relate to like professional development or career development or what it means to be, you know, a successful lawyer or to, you know, to be happy in, in the practice of law, you know, some, some sort of pet topic that they're passionate about um, that, you know, I'll call, you know, I've sort of tried to categorize some of these things. So, you know, if you've got expertise um, being one topic that you might write about, that's the thought leadership aspect. Um, Another one might be mentorship. You might decide you want to like, you know, you've been in the practice for 30 years and you want to pass on some wisdom to a younger generation. Frank Ramos, who we had on the podcast, um, is mm -hmm. excels at this. Um, or, you know, this another category, for lack of a better term, is like humanity, right? Like talk about how you failed in the past and what lessons you've learned. Not in a way that, you know, sometimes people overdo that kind of thing, but, uh, but, you know, I think people resonate with that again. They, they connect with you on a, on a different level. If you're sharing like, you know, Hey, I've, I've screwed up in the past. Um, you don't have to, because I did. And here's what I learned from the process. So th these are, these are sort of this mix of, of topics that you can write about that, um, that are, are unique to you, uh, because they're based on your own experience. So, you know, you've got to, 
natural. You've got to be a bit vulnerable. You've got to obviously embrace writing in the first person because it's you on the platform. It's not you know some copywriter who's writing your website bio um, or some you know some expert analysis blog post that's going on your website. Um, you've got to show up and and be authentic to yourself and to your audience, and and that's really what works on the platform. Yeah, and that vulnerability leads to better writing. Again, back to mm -hmm. those comments and those reactions will totally be additive to the process because not only I have I used comments um, that I've received on posts in future writing, say a blog post, I've incorporated somebody else's perspective into my um, my writing, which I never knew was there because I never was vulnerable enough to bring up a topic and then they not commented, I would have never known they had this additional perspective. But they've also unearthed other topic ideas that I wasn't considering writing about. But when you start to like, as you say, beta test, you start to get all sorts of wonderful inputs that you can't get just only writing a blog post of 1200 words sitting at your desk and, you know, shutting off the world. So I think all of this stuff leads to, you know, it's got, it's circuitous in that it keeps feeding upon itself and makes you a better writer. It gets you more closely connected with, let's say it's the market or an audience of some sort. You're more, you're just closer, more closely tied to it and you're bound to write better because you're, you have a better sense of what people care about. And then ultimately, does this lead to a growth in audience, do you think? So we talked about the engagement's going to be higher, the writing's going to be better, you're going to have more consistency. Does all of this result in a larger network or audience in your mind? Yeah, I, it, I think it. I think it absolutely does. Um, and obviously, all this depends on like you know you, you've got to you've got to write things that people care about. Um, but it's assuming you've met that bar and you're actually getting engagement with what you're writing, you you will absolutely grow your audience significantly. I mean, my my experience is anecdotal, but you know since I started writing daily posts, maybe I don't know a couple months back. I mean, the my. I've, the amount of connection requests I'm receiving, profile views, all of those, all of those metrics that you can, you know, view on LinkedIn have have really grown significantly, like you know, four or five hundred percent, really meaningful growth. And and that's you know, again, I, that's not just vanity metrics. It, it, I mean, they are in a sense, but um, you know, it matters when the bigger you know, the bigger your network gets, as long as it's people who again are related to what you're trying to achieve on the platform. So it's not just it's not just random people in disparate industries, but it's like it's the very audience that you that you you know you would buy an advertisement to to reach. Mm -hmm. um, you're you're getting that for free, like on LinkedIn by you know through your sweat equity and the writing that you're doing. So you'll you'll definitely see a significant uptick in um, in you know your audience growth as a result of doing this. But I would add like you if you want to gain something from the LinkedIn network, there's got to be some reciprocity as well. So you, you know, the fastest way to grow your network is yes, share, you know, daily content on the platform, but also spend a few minutes, you know, doing what you hope others do for you, which is engaging with your content, engage with theirs as well. Um, co leave comments uh, on other people's posts, like other people's posts, um, you know, get, get, get in there, even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes a day, and and start to meet people on the platform. If you do that, you know the the principle of reciprocity kicks in, and and you'll start growing your network, and people will become more interested in what you have to say if you're expressing interest in what they have to say. Yep, and not only reciprocity um, in the way that you're saying or suggesting. There's two reasons. The um, for one, the, what that you're alluding to. These comments are, are are currency, so you're sort of exchanging goodwill with the people that you're trying to influence and and have a conversation with, but 
algorithmically, it also sends markers to LinkedIn that these are the types of people that you are naturally connected to. And the next time you do serve up a post, the algorithms kick in and say, okay, well, Tom's been talking with Nancy. Nancy must want to see his content, right? And so those are the types of people that first 10%, as you say, whether they're trying to roll out your content and see if anyone reacts to it, they're going to turn to the data inputs that you provide. And those data inputs are the things that you like, the things, the people that you talk to, et cetera. So you're sort of hacking both. I always say that there's two reasons or two things to consider whenever you're doing anything on LinkedIn is consider the human element, which is this currency that you're exchanging by commenting and liking, you know, gives those people the goodwill that you want to extend and, and have some reciprocity with. But the other side is the robots behind the scenes is you need to understand what, how those work so that you can feed them properly to maximize all of your efforts. So, all right. Well, last topic I wanted to bring up before we get to our little pro tip hack is something that you call a knowledge management system. So you say that a daily writing habit will force you to develop a knowledge management system. What is that and why should we care about it? Well, that's that, that's where I think the uh, the ambitions that you might have for writing daily on LinkedIn will, will run into an obstacle if you're not managing, uh, you know, your, your ideas, essentially, um, you, you know, I think that every lawyer, uh, if they, if they really, you know, if there was some, if there was some computer analyzing their thoughts, they'd have a multitude of great ideas to write about and post about on LinkedIn every day. Um, but they, because they don't necessarily have a system for capturing those ideas, um, then they're gone. Right. I mean, inspire, you'd need to, you need to strike, uh, uh you know, you need to move when inspiration strikes and, and you don't necessarily need to write at that moment, but you at least need to catalog that idea so that you can come back to it later. So I just wanted to, you know, emphasize something which has become important for me where, you know, I might be reading something, I might be listening to something, I might be in the midst of creating work product for a client and just some, some kernel of an idea will strike me and it, it may turn into nothing, but just simply having, it could be, a sticky note on your desk. It could be a Google Doc that you have open in a browser. Whatever. It doesn't need to be a complicated system. It could be Evernote or some note-taking app. Mm -hmm. um, but some system for just capturing ideas as they occur to you throughout the day. Um, and then also, you know, what is the source material? Like, what are the stories, the anecdotes, the metaphors, the statistics, the case studies? All of these things that would would serve to reinforce and support your ideas having some system in place to, to manage and store that knowledge, I, I think is just critical. Otherwise it's gonna be really hard to sustain this sort of daily practice. I, oftentimes, you know, I, I don't, now I don't have to like, you know, just stare at the screen and, and think about like, okay, what am I gonna write about today? I've got a, you know, I've got a backlog of ideas to draw upon. And I, you know, not every idea actually gets translated into a post, um, but, you know, at least I know I have something to go back to when I need it. So I think it's just important, you know, the, 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 the form of the system is far less important than like its function, which means it, as long as it's how, whatever's working for you, stick with it. It doesn't need to be complicated. Yep. Totally agreed. I use the Apple notes and Apple reminders, like really unsophisticated, but something that is just right there handy. So I can just click it open and just capture something immediately. Yeah. And one last point on that, Tom, there's a flip side of that too, which is also, um, you know, they're, they're, they'll exist on LinkedIn, but I also think that people should make sure, you know, take, if you're doing LinkedIn daily posts, make sure you're storing that somewhere, um, you know, in a, in a Google doc or whatever, whatever system you use. Um, and because 
those those should become you know longer form content, for example, and it might become something way more than that. Like again, referencing Laura Frederick, um, about two weeks ago, uh, after posting daily on LinkedIn for a hundred straight days, she took those posts, um, edited them together, and published a book uh, now on Amazon <laughs> that's doing extremely well, called um, Practical Tips on How to Contract. Um, you should definitely check it out and you should check her out because she's she's one of the people who, you know, you want to model uh, your behavior after hers because she's very successful on LinkedIn. But, but you know, you never know what this, I, I guess the point being, you never know what this, this daily practice will turn into, even a few months in. Right. And her, her arena of subject matter is fairly narrow too. It's, it, it hasn't, uh, A, it hasn't deterred her from staying focused on it. And that's contract law. That's all she talks about. And it hasn't resulted in, you know, the, the, um, the, the ghost town and the, uh, what do you call those things? The tumbleweeds. I mean, oh, yeah. people are into it, right? It's hundreds so, it's of a, comments, you know, hundreds of yeah. reactions to her posts every day. Yeah. So don't be afraid to go narrow and don't be afraid to stay consistent. So, um, all right. Well, relative to this pro tip, I keep teasing. It's, it's more of a way <laughs> for me to, and you to resolve this conflict that, you know, our old selves would say everything needs to drive people to a call to action, a, a, your website or something that you're marketing or promoting, which what we're describing now is not that by design. It's like, leave the links out because we're trying to keep people on LinkedIn and we're trying not to have our content suppressed by the algorithms. So what you're describing is pure text posts, right? With no links. Yep. What, but eventually we do want people to find us and get back to our website at some point, don't we? So are there, what are the workarounds? Um, I'm thinking of two, I wonder what you're thinking of in terms of how do you get people then eventually back to your home turf, which is a website or something that you're promoting or marketing? Yeah, well, I, I've got two, but I, I bet one is not, I bet one is common to us both and then one one won't be. But um, so the first one would be the one that's probably common to us is, is linking to content um, the outside content in the comments to your post. So you write the post, you run out of characters or, or don't either way. Um, but you have some, you have some related, you know, article or webinar that you're promoting, whatever. Um, you can drop that in the comments to your post and, and people will see that generally, um, and they can click through to it. So that, that would be the one, the one tip. Um, and, and that, that doesn't, that kind of, by the way, seem to suppress the, the correct. post itself. So you're kind yes. of hacking your way around it. Yes, right. I, I don't know how, you know, at some point, clearly LinkedIn <laughs> knows that people are doing this. And, right. and I, you know, will I guess we'll, we'll suppress it. But I've seen some, I've seen some analyses people have done where it, it seems to work, like meaning it doesn't seem to suppress your post if you do that. Um, and then the second tip I would say is, you don't really need to do anything like this is where I'm, this is what I'm eventually coming around to, which is, you don't, you don't need to post or link out to anything you've written on your website ever. And why is that? Because if you're creating really engaging posts on LinkedIn, people are going to, you're going to have more people checking out your website than you would otherwise, right? Yeah. It's the, it's the attention and the visibility that you're gaining through this practice. That's going to be the thing that's going to drive people to your website to read your blog post in the first place. So I'd say, you don't, I mean, you, you can certainly, if you do want to, promote a specific piece of content, put it in the comments, but just, just get more engaged on LinkedIn and you'll, you'll drive your website traffic up just as a result of that significantly. Yep. Agreed wholeheartedly with both of those. I'll add maybe a third, which is occasionally um, share an image or a graphic that maybe has a link 
a text link in the graphic that's not necessarily clickable, but it's there if people want to find it. That's one thing you could possibly do. Um, again, I would I would favor to just take this what you're describing this methodology to its fullest. I would say use even images only sparingly at this point. And then the last thing is back to your original idea, which is to inc include a link in the comments is what I do is I like to let the conversation evolve to the point where it's natural for me because somebody has brought up a topic to say, hey, since you brought this up, Nancy, this person I keep making up, um, we're doing a webinar. It's complimentary on this topic. Or here's something I wrote at length over at a, a, attorney or law.com or whatever it might be. That way, like there's a reason it, it's less self-promotional and less obvious that you're trying to do the hack. But it, it's also you really are authentically adding value to a conversation that's naturally occurring and evolving. So those are my pro tips. And actually, those are your pro tips with me embellishing one or two. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I think that's good. And that, that hopefully that clarifies for people like it, it's a somewhat of a nuanced point, but it's an important one. But um, but it, it, you know, at the end of the day, just just start writing more on LinkedIn. Again, the easiest way to probably explain it is start thinking of LinkedIn as your blog, not the blog and your website as your blog anymore. It's it's just a better way to reach your audience. Yeah, and just to clarify too, we aren't advocating that you kill your blog because the blog does have all sorts mm -hmm. of other benefits relative to the people who naturally go to your site. They're going to want to explore your thought leadership. It's got the search engine optimization benefit, so you don't want to kill written content off your off your website. And um, you're also going to link to it through other channels like email marketing. So you're probably not going to link to a LinkedIn post in your email marketing. You're going to drive people to your website. So we're not saying the blog is dead, long live LinkedIn. We're saying a new approach to LinkedIn that sort of works well in LinkedIn and maximizes LinkedIn while you're still using your blog to through other channels, right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's again, I, I see it as like, if we, if there's a hierarchy, it's like LinkedIn is the place that's going to allow you to make your blog much more engaging. Cause you're going to have just a, you're going to have a better sense of what topics, what ideas um, to write about, and you're going to improve your writing in the process. So it's just, it's almost like your laboratory for, for your blog and your website content. Yep. Great. Well, I'm committed to this. I started last week, so um, I'll let you know how it goes. I'm already seeing the early returns. Um, it's weird because all of a sudden these like connection requests are coming up from people I don't know, and mm -hmm. I don't know how they're discovering me other than probably through this methodology. So good stuff, Jay. Anything to add before we uh, let people go? No, I think that's it. Uh, but so yeah, just uh, I give it a try, even if it's for a week or two weeks. Um, give it, give it the old college try, and and we'd be interested in hearing about what your results are. And just we, Laura Frederick, who you mentioned a couple times, decided she was going to try this for thirty days and just see what happens. And immediately she saw go back to the episode a couple prior and to see and hear her describe just how things just went through the roof the minute she almost like the very first week she tried this. So we know it works. Um, report back to us. Shoot us an email. Shoot us a LinkedIn note. Even better. All right, Jay. Uh, thanks. I guess we'll leave it here unless there's anything final words. Nope, that's it. We'll uh, we'll catch everybody next week. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.